Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss. One sentence summary. Salt, Sugar, Fat takes you through the history of the demise of home-cooked meals by explaining why you love salt, sugar and fat so much and how the processed food industry managed to hook us by cramming all three of those into their products. My favorite quote from the author is, They may have salt, sugar and fat on their side, but we ultimately have the power to make choices. After all, we decide what to buy. We decide how much to eat. Michael Moss This book is eye-opening. Michael Moss explains both why we love these three things so much and how the food industry has managed to jam-pack their products with all of them. The, res the results are more than shocking, leading us to eat 1.5, 4 or even 20 times as much of them as we should. Here are three major lessons from the book. 1. TV, jobs and clever marketing ruined home-cooked foods. 2. You eat 50% more fat than you should and it's because you can't taste it. 3. It's not the food industry's fault that it offers so many bad foods. It's yours. Some mouthy claims here, so we better take a closer look at them. Salt, sugar, fat, lesson 1. TV, jobs and smart advertising mark the downfall of home-cooked meals. This answers the question, why do we have so much junk food available today? Gary Vaynerchuk always says marketers ruin everything. He is right. In the 1950s, for the first time, women in America started taking jobs and creating careers of their own on a big scale. That, of course, meant more wealth and made the US prosper, but it also meant less time for cooking. Additionally, TV had just been invented, so naturally, all eyes were glued to it. Who'd want to miss Bonanza, Lassie, or Tom and Jerry for boiling potatoes? So why not spend some of their hard-earned money on convenience foods, Americans thought. But don't think there wasn't any resistance. 25,000 teachers at the time taught a subject that is unheard of today, home economics. Yes, learning how to cook and manage a household was taught in school once. Why did we do away with one of the most useful subjects? I know I could have used some cooking skills prior to moving out. But marketers are smart. And so they hired some of those home economics teachers and started educating Americans about the ease of processed meals. This resulted in fictional teachers like Betty Crocker, who ended up promoting heat-and-serve meals across the entire nation with cookbooks, classes, TV shows, catchy slogans and even showrooms. The combined power of being busy, TV and the heavily marketed faces of convenient cooking eventually overpowered the home-cooked meal and took its place. And it hasn't given it back until today. Salt, sugar, fat. Lesson 2. You eat 50% more fat than you should, and it's because you can't taste it. This answers the question, why are we likely to overindulge on fat? I wish I could tell you about all three ingredients, but this summary only leaves room for one. But it's a big one. Fat. You probably know the whole evolutionary story of how our bodies have developed to crave sugar for its short-term energy boost could save our ancestors' lives. But do you know why you even love fat so much, which has twice as many calories as sugar taken gram for gram? It's because you don't have a built-in limit for fat. Unlike sugar or salt, you can never have too much fat. More is always better. At least that's what your body thinks. This is because we have taste buds for salt and sugar but not for fat. 
Since all we do is sense its texture, texture, which we love, we suck at estimating how much fat is in food and whether we've had enough of it already. Even worse, add sugar to the mix and the fat moves its operations even more to the background, hiding behind the, the taste of the sugar. Talk about sugar coating things, huh? Apart from giving food an awesome texture and making it look better, fat also increases shelf life, a very important quality for food processing companies, because the longer those canned soups are good to eat, the more time they have to sell it to you. As a result, tons of processed foods are full with tons of fat. And that's the reason why Americans, on average, eat 50% more fat every single day than they should. Salt, sugar, fat. Lesson 3. It's not the food industry's fault that it offers so many bad foods, it's yours. This answers the question, what can we do about our junk food culture? Here comes the worst part of all of this. None of this is the food industry's fault, it's ours. We are responsible that the food aisles in supermarkets are filled with crappy products. Why? Because we demanded them. Yes, some government programs help, like the one in the UK, where food producers can voluntarily limit the amount of sodium they put into their products. But the root of the problem is consumer demand. Some companies showed goodwill. For example, Campbell cut out a lot of sodium from their soups. The result? Consumers started complaining, claiming the soups didn't taste as good because they weren't used to the low sodium amounts. Sales took a dive and a few years later, up goes the sodium content. The same thing happened for Kraft, which set limits for salt, sugar and fat for all new products in 2003. But the demand for their old, worse products got a lot stronger, so it was economically impossible for them to let them go. As long as we demand crappy foods, crappy foods is what we'll get. We have to change ourselves first, and then demand the rest of the world change with us. My personal takeaways from salt, sugar, fat for 2017. I think this book is really inspiring. Uh, I have had I've read select chapters and parts of it, and of course the summary on Blinkist. I'll be the first to admit that I don't eat very well, and that I don't like cooking. Um, so right now I'm deliberately and I'm deliberately and consciously doing this. I'm deprioritizing, deprioritizing cooking and food, uh, to be able to work more. That's just my attitude right now. And I'm 26 years old and I know, especially as I get older, I'll shift more, uh, or back again because I've done this before to healthier food. But the thing is, and what pr this book got me to do is by educating me about the history of how this all came about. First of all, it made me more conscious and more aware of what I'm doing. So now when I'm telling you, well, I'm choosing to eat cheaper food just because so I can save money right now for the most part, then that's a consciously made decision and not something I'm doing because the advertising industry put me on autopilot and I just go to McDonald's every day. In fact, I've started avoiding junk food restaurants or fast food restaurants altogether so while I do buy a lot of food and I eat out a lot, I always go to restaurants and uh, places that have little families running, uh, families running them or family-owned businesses and things of that nature. Because while right now I'm at the point where I can't highly prioritize food, I can still do something to make this better. And I really think that the most important part is for us to be aware of what we're consuming and making a conscious choice to do so. And that's for the good stuff and for the bad stuff. 
So at the very least, what I can highly recommend you do is at least look at the label every time you buy something. Just look at how many calories are in there, how much fat, how much salt, how much sugar. I always do it. So even if it's something bad, if it's a treat or not, you'll know what goes into your body. And I think that's the biggest takeaway this book can get you to do.